0: Welcome everyone to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. Uh, My name's Dave, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And today we have a lot of newcomers. And so if this is your first time here at Mosaic, we wanna say welcome. We're so glad you're joining us for the first time. Um, Try to get connected. And if I could give you one word of advice, if you're new and today's your first day, it would be this, stay after service. Stay after service. It's so interesting that when I talk to people about past church experiences where they didn't really get connected, You hear the same phrase. We used to go to service and then we would just leave. I hear that over and over again. All the people, I went to this church, but we would just go there and then we would just leave. We went to this church and then we would go to service and then we would just leave. And then it occurred to me the other day. Why don't people just stay? <laughs> and it would make a huge difference in helping to get connected to the church. So if this is your first time, don't just leave. It's such a, a simple thing, but it makes a huge difference in getting to know our church. And so welcome to Mosaic. And today uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter. And so uh, the passage is on the screen, but if you have your Bibles at home, love for you to open that up. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16, this is our main passage today from the Word of God, the living and active Word. And so, receive from 1 Peter, Peter writes to us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient servants, or as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Today's sermon, we're talking about um, sanctification. If you've been with us this summer, we've been going through uh, the Gospel Clarity Series, looking at the gospel from different angles, and today we're going to look at the gospel through the lens of or from the angle of sanctification. I know that's a big word. Hopefully, it becomes really simple and clear and easy to understand for all of you, Um, but for all of us in this room, who has, during COVID, made a useless COVID Amazon purchase? Annie was super fast in raising her hand. She's made more than one, I bet. Um, But we've all been online shopping like crazy. And we've been online shopping during COVID and bringing in all sorts of things into our house that have no use, no use for us. And now the things that you thought you were going to use so much that was going to be so useful and is going to change your life because you bought this product, you got this on Amazon, and today it's just sitting in your house. Some of us have something like that, and every time you walk by that thing in the living room, you're wondering, oh my gosh, why did I buy that? Should I just give it away? You think I can sell it, but it was a big mistake, because I bought this thing, and I thought it was going to make such a big difference in my life, but it's not really making a big difference. It's just sitting in my house. I say that because in a lot of ways, as Christians, sometimes don't you feel like that about your faith? Don't you feel like that about your salvation, that when you came to Christ, you thought that this was going to make such a big difference in your life, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. You thought it was going to make a huge, tremendous leap forward in the way that you live. And sometimes you get this feeling, didn't do anything. And actually, that can be a really desperate feeling for us. When we feel like our faith doesn't do anything. Today's lens of the gospel shows us that one of the reasons we feel powerless about our gospel, one of the reasons we feel powerless about our salvation is we don't understand something called holiness. Holiness. And I know that comes as a surprise Uh, Because holiness is something that, you know, feels like something you don't want to engage in. It's a little bit intimidating to think about holiness, right? If you could think about you being holy, it's a little bit intimidating, right? Holiness, oh, that sounds so difficult, so, so difficult. But actually, I want to tell you that one of the reasons that you feel like your faith is powerless in your life is because we don't understand the power of holiness and how it changes our lives, Holiness, sanctification, these words in a lot of ways mean the same thing. To be sanctified is to be made holy. Okay? To be sanctified is to be made holy. And I, we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be holy? And I'm going to just cover two points today to make that, try to make that clear for us, what it means to be holy. The first thing it means for us to be holy is we are set apart by God set apart by God. And the second thing it means is that we are set apart for God, by God and for God. I I really want to try to slow down and make holiness clear for us because when we understand holiness through the lens of the gospel, guys, it makes such a big difference. Brothers and sisters, it makes such a big difference in our lives and the power that you were lacking, it'll come back to you. Let's pray together. Father, we pray Some of us are scared of holiness. Some of us, holiness seems flat and boring, black, white. But I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would help us to understand holiness in the way that you have meant for it to change our lives, to give us power again. I pray especially for the brothers and sisters who feel like they lead flat Christian lives. Christian lives that don't help them, that don't do anything. I pray, O God, that you would reinvigorate, rejuvenate their spirit by reminding us of the power of being like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing holiness means is that holiness means to be set apart by God. And let me read you for the the passage one more time and just look for this call um, to holiness in here, but also look for the fact of holiness in here. Therefore, For those of us who grew up in the church, holiness for us, when we think about that, it feels just like a burden. It feels like something that we are called to do and we know we're not holy and we feel bad about it, but we know we're supposed to be holy and I don't really try to be holy and it just there's this great burden when we think about holiness because, first of all, it makes us feel like it's this great thing that we have to do. But I want to tell you today the holiness, first and foremost, being holy is not necessarily First, what you are called to do, it is who you are. When you come to believe in Jesus Christ, you are made holy. You are set apart from the rest of this world. Uh, You are set apart from what the Bible says, objects of wrath, to now being objects of mercy. You are separated, made different, and set apart for God. You know, in my house, we have a lot of plastic cups. And we have a lot of plastic, you know, uh, dishes. Uh, One reason, because I have little kids. But the other reason, the reason that I use plastic cups almost exclusively at my house is because I'm super clumsy. And I've broken a lot of glass in my life. And so I use all my kids' cups. And I use all my kids' dishes because I don't want to break anything anymore. And so we have all these plastic things in our house. And one of the things um, is a pet peeve for my wife is uh, using uh, paper cups. She doesn't like using paper cups, paper plates, all that kind of stuff. She's not from the U.S., so she's not used to wasting like us. We really we love wasting, right? Um, but she's not from here, and so she has a hard time with that. But we have a lot of these uh, plastic things, and sometimes we'll have paper things. But, you know, if you go into our dining room, set apart from our kitchen, where everything else is, set apart from our kitchen stuff and all of our cups and things like that, is this wooden glass case, And in this wooden glass case, there are cups and plates and bowls that we almost never use, except for Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. On very, very special occasions, we'll dig into this, but we'll almost never use it because it's very fine china. And we'll use it sometimes on special occasions. You see, our fine china is set aside or set apart From everything else because it's for a specific use it's for a different kind of use it's not for putting six chicken nuggets with sweet and sour sauce it's not for that that's for paper cups but our fine china is for something different it's set apart when you come to faith in jesus christ god sets you apart and says these are holy in this world That's you. That's why he says, do not live in your former ignorance. You are set apart as holy. Just like you don't put six-piece chicken nuggets on fine china. You don't put the things of the former ignorance on men and women of the holy God. You are set apart. That's the first sense in which you are Holy. You are actually made holy by the grace of God. Um, theologically, we call that definitive, definitive sanctification. What that means is that you are definitely, once and for all, forever holy, set apart, sanctified by God. I have a definition. I'm sorry, I'm going all out of order here. Uh, but definitive sanctification is being set apart from the world by God. is being set apart by God. And he does that because holiness is one of the reasons he saved you. There's an old worship song that some of you may know. The people who answered today's uh, talking question saying that you listen to cassettes and CDs. You may know this worship song, but the iPod and after generation may not know. But there's a song called, Why Have You Chosen Me? Um, who knows that song? Anyone know that song? Okay, some of you guys know that song. Why Have You Chosen Me? It's an old song, and it goes like this. Why have you chosen me out of millions your child-to-be? You know all the wrongs that I have done. It's a song first asking God, why did you save me? Because you know I'm no better than anybody else. You know I sinned just as much as everybody else. Why did you choose me? But what's interesting about that song, it doesn't necessarily answer the question, but it goes straight to the chorus that goes like this. But Lord, help me to be what you want me to be. Your word I will strive to obey. It doesn't try to understand fully why he chose to save, but it goes right into, since I am saved, let me now be the man, the woman you have called me to be. Actually, I think that's very biblical because when you look at the New Testament and you ask the New Testament, New Testament, why did God save me? I think the answer that most of us expect is, oh, he saved you because he loves you, and that is true. But a surprising answer that you might get just as many times as love, just as frequently as love, may be, he saved you so that you would be holy. Surprising. Surprising. Not an answer that we would expect, but the New Testament would say, one of the reasons, the main reasons he saved you is so that you would be holy. Let me read you guys this from Ephesians. He says this in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That, and here comes the reason, here comes the purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's called us, he saved us, so that we would be set apart and be separate from this world and be different from this world, unique, special from this world. He saved you so that you would be holy in this world. Did you know that that's why you were saved? You are not paper plate people. You are chosen. You are the fine china of the spiritual realm because you have been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are holy. You are sanctified. That's the first sense that we have to understand the gospel of sanctification. Peter really hits this home in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says this. You, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you may proclaim to this world how special he is. He made you in fine China, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, you were not a people. You were just out there with everybody else, mingled together with the objects of wrath, not really set apart, not really special, Once you were not a people, did you know that? But now, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, you have received mercy. Why don't I experience power in my Christian life? One of the reasons is because you forgot that you are God's people. And that you should expect to experience God in your life. You should expect it because you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, his people that he set apart so that you can experience and proclaim his excellencies. You're not just a web designer. You're not just an accountant. You're not just a lawyer. You're not just a pastor. You're not just a missionary. You are not just a teacher. You are not just a banker. You are royal priesthood set apart so that you can experience in this life the excellencies and mercies of God every single day. You are sanctified, brothers and sisters. That's who you are. That's the gospel of sanctification. You are set aside for that. I think one of the things that the charismatic church can teach us is that the charismatic church expects to experience God. You know, I, I, okay, there are a lot of things that maybe I don't 100% agree with with every single charismatic church. But one of the things that we can learn from is that they expect to experience God because they know that they are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a people set aside for God's own possession. One of the reasons that we live powerless Christian lives is that we slum around in the world Forgetting that we have been set aside for God. You are his chosen people. That's what it means to be sanctified. You are set apart by God. Secondly, not only you set apart by God, you are set aside, aside, set apart for him. He says, you are holy. By the blood of Jesus, I've set you apart. Now, be holy. Let's read our passage again in 1 Peter. It says this. Therefore, you've been set aside by God therefore preparing your action preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children yes your children you're set aside you are adopted as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he called you as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what we saw in the first um, part. Um, he, sa- he doesn't say, You should be holy. You must be holy. He says, You shall be holy. Right? This is what happened to us. Now, shall is not something that we say every day, but what a- what's the difference between shall and should? Should. Shall and should. Should places the obligation upon you. You should do it. Shall says it is inevitably going to happen. You shall be holy as I am holy. I've set you apart. By the blood of Jesus, he screamed on the cross, it is finished. You shall be holy as I am holy. And now you should be holy. Be holy as I am holy, he says. Become holy in the way that you live, in your conduct. And brothers and sisters, this is a second part of sanctification that we really need to understand. Since we are set apart, since we are holy, we should be holy in our conduct. And when we start to strive to live into that holiness, this is when you are going to start to experience the power of your salvation, It's not going to be like an Amazon purchase that kind of you bought, you made a decision, and it's kind of in your house. You don't know what to do with it. When you start to strive to obey God, strive to follow God and to become holy, that's when you're going to start to experience, yes, some tensions, but also the power of God changing you. This is called progressive sanctification. This is the other side of sanctification. Definitive sanctification is God did it for you. It's finished. And now, he says, now that I've made you holy, run the race hard. Beat your body. Be like an athlete who understands there's a goal. Now progress in your sanctification. Now I have made you to be holy. Be holy. Actually in your life. This is the second part of it, progressing towards sanctification. Now, I think that an important thing to understand in this, the important thing for us to understand is what does it mean to progress? What are we progressing towards? I think that one of the things that trips us up about sanctification is that we still think that sanctification is about keeping rules. And nobody wants to do that. If I said, raise your hand if you love keeping rules, there may be a couple of people, but most of us, have very little interest in keeping rules for the sake of keeping rules. Why? But still, when we think of our sanctification for many of us, our holiness, we still think that it's about keeping rules. And that's what makes you super disinterested in being holy. But one of the things, the mind shift that I would, I want us to experience today in the Holy Spirit is to see that becoming holy is not about being better at keeping rules, but it's about becoming like God. Did you hear what God said in the passage? He said, be holy, why? Because I am holy. Because I am holy. You see, what it means for us to pursue holiness is not to get religious points, but for us to be transformed into the divine essence of God so that we can enjoy God. That's what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the sermon. For us to become like God so that we can enjoy God. You see, holiness is not a set of rules, but it is the very essence of Godness. You see, for God, when he's, he's being holy, when God is holy, he doesn't say, Oh, wait, what's the, what's the rule again? I forgot. In this, in this circumstance, what's the holy thing to do again? Somebody check the rule book. He never says that. Not because he memorized the rule book, but because holiness emanates from his essence. He is holy. Don't you see? He's not following rules. He is holiness. And when we strive to be holy, we're not trying to follow a rule book. We are imitating God, becoming like God, That's what he's inviting you into. He's inviting you into his divine nature to become like him. Become holy because I am holy. It's very different. It's very different. That's what he is calling us to. We have to understand that the holiness, in the first point, we said that it's really about separation. You're separate from the world, you're set aside, you're in the dining room, not in the kitchen. But there's a second sense when holiness is really about the essence and the person and character of God. Remember the seraphim in uh, Revelation? Remember they're covering their eyes and ears and they're flying around and they're saying what? Holy, holy, holy. What? Why, Why are they saying that? Are they saying separate, separate, separate? Is that what they're saying? That's not what they're saying. You see, holiness is the very nature of God. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who is and was, and who is to come. When we are called to be holy, we are invited into the divine essence of God. We are called to become like God so that what? We can enjoy God. We are set apart not just by God, but we are set apart for him. We're set apart so we can enjoy him. He is the enjoyment of our lives and our souls. Who's ever heard of the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism? Okay. Westminster... <laughs> I see Josh in the back. The <laughs> um, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's like a, um, a summary of what we believe. Okay, People got together at the Westminster Abbey and they put together what we believe, basically. That's why it's called the Westminster Catechism. I had our... I had all of our elders memorize it. And I should test them right now because I'm going to ask the easiest one. I see William in the front here, but I won't put him in the spot. The very first question is a great one. The Westminster Shorter Catechism first question asks this. What's the chief end of man? What's the point of our lives? That's a great first question, right? What's the chief end of man? Why do we live? What's the point of all this? It asks, what's the chief end of man? And the answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why he made and saved you, so that you could savor God. Now, what sanctification is, is giving you the ability to enjoy God and to savor God. Because unless you grow in your ability to do that, you can't live out your purpose. And that's why you feel like your Christianity is powerless, purposeless, it's not doing anything for you, because you're not growing in your ability to enjoy God. That's why he made you and saved you, and you're sitting there wondering, what's this for? Because you don't yet have the ability to enjoy him. Because you need to grow in that, brothers and sisters. That's called sanctification. That's called spiritual growth. And unless you can savor him, you'll never actually be holy. And unless you're holy, you can't really enjoy him. I know that um, some people, they want to go to heaven because they don't want to go to hell. Do you know people like that? They don't want to go to hell, so they want to go to heaven. But one of the things I always tell people like that is, unless you love God, you wouldn't really like it up there. My wife doesn't like truffles. She had a really bad experience uh, with truffles, and she doesn't like it. And so we've had experiences with truffles. We've had opportunities to try truffles. It's like a very expensive delicacy. But we've had a couple of run-ins with truffles, and I've tried it. Um, When we went to Europe, I ordered a dish with truffles on it. But she hates it. She hates truffles. And she can't stand the smell, the taste of truffles. Now imagine for our anniversary, it's our anniversary next month. Imagine for our anniversary, she said, Dave, let's blow it out and let's go to a really nice restaurant. I said, okay, let's go. And uh, we go to this nice restaurant and we see a prefix menu. And it says, uh, prefixed menu with truffles. All right. Um, now let's say the first appetizer comes out. And it's, I don't know what they make with truffles, but it's some kind of appetizer with truffles. And my wife gets it and she goes, oh, why'd they put truffles on this? It ruins it. Maybe the next dish will be better. Then the main course comes out, and it's a, it's a meat dish with truffles. And she goes, oh, it smells so weird. I can't touch it. And she doesn't touch it, and then she just lets that course go by, and then the dessert comes out. Some weird dessert with truffles. She goes, oh, my gosh. Now, as her husband, what am I sitting here? What am I going to say? I'm going to say this. Why did we come here? (laughs) Why did we come here if you don't want truffles? She's miserable at that restaurant. I know some people want to go to heaven because they don't want to go to hell. But I want to tell you that heaven about the enjoyment and the worship of God. I know that some people don't want to go to hell, so they want to go to heaven. But if you go to heaven without the capacity and heart to enjoy and love and live for God and to worship Him and to enjoy Him, then you will be more miserable in heaven than my wife at a truffle restaurant. That's what the Christian life is. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. And so what is sanctification? It's growing in our ability to enjoy God, growing in our ability to savor God, to walk with Him and feel the power of His presence. That's what the Christian life is. Susanna Wesley knew this, and when we think about sin... We have to understand that, that the sin is not just our failure to keep rules, but we are made to enjoy God. And what sin does in your life and in my life is it deadens our heart to enjoy God. You see, sin is sin, not because God arbitrarily chose things like, yeah, I don't want him to do that. It'd be fine if they did that. But I don't want him to do that. Why? I don't know. I just don't want him to. Sin is sin because there are things that deaden our heart to God. John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley started a movement in England and in the U.S. that changed the world. Changed the world. The holiness movement changed the world. But when John Wesley, before he was John Wesley, wrote a letter to his mom when he was 22 years old. Some of you are 22 years old. In a stage of life where there's a lot of unique temptations, specific temptations that were coming to his heart. And he didn't know what to do. So he didn't write to a pastor. He didn't write to some missionary or elder or theologian. A word for us parents. He wrote to his mom. And he asked his mom, Mom, what is sin? What is sin? And Susanna Wesley wrote back, I think, the godliest definition of what sin is, the most practical definition of sin I've ever heard in my life. And it goes like this. Susanna Wesley wrote back to her 22-year-old son. She wrote this. She said, son, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you. However innocent it may be in itself. She says, my son, you're 22 years old, you're living in this world, you're experiencing a lot of things, you're trying a lot of things. I'm not going to give you a rule book. This list is sin and this list is not. Because there are things that are not necessarily listed in the Bible as sin for us that you and I know deaden our senses for God. She writes this beautiful definition of sin for her son. She says, my son, if you find yourself doing things and it takes away your desire for God, if it makes you feel less inclined to pray, if it makes God feel more far away, even if those things are good, even if those things are fine, to you, that is sin. You know why I love that definition? Is because it gets to the heart of what sin and holiness is. It's our ability to enjoy God forever. And she says, my son... You can either cultivate your spirituality or you can deaden your spirituality. That's your sanctification. You see, Jesus said, your holiness has to exceed the holiness of the Pharisees. And everybody listening was like, what? I have to keep more rules than the Pharisees keep? That's physically impossible. But is that what Jesus was saying? He's saying no the Pharisees keep rules and they call that holiness. But you, your holiness must exceed keeping rules. Your holiness must be about your heart for me. It's not about keeping rules and not keeping rules. Your holiness has to be bigger than that. Your holiness must exceed the holiness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because you have to come after my heart. What sanctification does is it gives us the ability to enjoy God. That's what it means to be sanctified, to become holy. That's why at Mosaic, our mission here is to reach, embrace, and disciple. Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, what What did he say? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then abandon them? No, he said, Teach them to obey all that I've said. Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What does it look like then to enjoy God? It's to feel his pleasure when we obey. It's to feel the courage to stand up and not to cower in this world. It's to feel... Honestly, sometimes to feel the serotonin that kicks in into your body when you read the word of God and it becomes alive to you and you feel the kick of God's word living and active in your life and you enjoy it. To feel the energy in the morning of the peace that God gives you right before a crazy day. It's the joy of seeing the fruit and progress of spiritual growth in your life. It's to look back five years from today and to think, wow, I am different. To enjoy God in that. To see your godly wisdom help people as it emanates from you. To see how you bring shalom to your family by changing is to see your prayers answered and to feel a growing reflex to praise God. That's all the enjoyment of God. That's what He's called us to in our sanctification. That, brothers and sisters, is sanctification, that is holiness. Growing to enjoy God. Now imagine the reverse of that. The most miserable Christian on earth is the reverse of that. The most miserable Christian is the one who feels the pressure of God who judges them for salvation. I might lose my salvation if I sin. If I don't do right, then I might lose my salvation. Constantly living in fear and anxiety of that. And not by grace. And then after they feel like they are saved, not pursuing holiness at all, not experiencing the power of holiness at all, not experiencing the benefits of walking with God at all, not growing in their enjoyment of God at all. All you get is the anxiety of religion. That's the most miserable Christian there is. Stinks. Because that's religion, not grace. That's religion, not the gospel. But to enjoy God is to understand that he set you apart by grace and to increase in your ability to enjoy him and feel the power of walking with God. Isn't that what you all want? It all comes through a surprising door called holiness, pursuing holiness, now, how do I do this this week? I want to ask two questions. What, what do I do this week? And then, why is it so hard? How do I do it this week? I, I just want to really encourage you to t- take to heart Susanna Wesley's definition of sin and Susanna Wesley's advice for her son. I'd love for you to take it to heart. And ask yourself this week, what are the things, no matter how innocent and good in and of itself, are actually deadening my desire for God when I do it? I'm just going to give you a minute to think about that. What are the things that you take into your eyes that make you feel more dead to God? That harden your heart to God? What are the TV shows that you watch that make you feel worse in front of God? Now, I'm not giving you rules here. I'm just asking you. Your heart, no matter how good in and of itself it is, for you that is sin, What are you taking in through your eyes? Jesus said, your eyes are the lamp of your body. Don't you know that? Your eyes are the lamp of the body. If your eyes are dark and it fills your heart with darkness, oh my goodness, how great is that darkness, God, Jesus says. Your eyes are the lamp of your body. What are you taking in? What are the conversations that you're having that afterwards it does make you feel worse? Come on, be honest. What kind of conversations do make you feel worse? and deaden your desire for God? What are you doing late at night that makes you feel deadened to God? Let me hit on one one thing in particular that I've been asked for more than five years to talk about, and I haven't found the right time to talk about it until now. Video games. I've had numerous wives ask me over the years to talk about video games at Mosaic. Now, when I first heard that at Mosaic, I laughed because I thought they were joking. Uh, I didn't realize how many people were playing how much video games. Now, again, I'm not giving you right or wrong. I'm just going to talk about this for a second. I feel like I'm hitting on a really sensitive topic right now. I feel the tension in the room. Uh Uh-oh. This is when the Holy Spirit speaks, right? Um... Video games are fine. But Susanna Wesley said, if you're doing things that, um, that do deaden your heart for God, if you're playing video games a lot till 2 a.m. in the morning, is that enlivening your heart to pursue God? Maybe it is for some of you, but I doubt that if you're playing that much and you're taking that kind of toll on your mind, soul, and body that that is making you alive to Christ. Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek seek the things above. Does that help you do that? Maybe it does. Maybe it helps you connect with people. I'm not necessarily a gamer, so I don't know all the intricacies of what it's like to be in that network and space. But he says, if you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on the things above. Or does it make you set your eyes on the things of earth? What is it doing to your heart? Ask yourself that question. Women, not to be stereotypical, but in my town, there is a ton of gossip. I live in Ridgewood, and I hear it in the people who live there. Does that kind of conversation enliven your heart to God when you judge people, when you talk about them? My brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling us today. Social media, YouTube, how you spend your time. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, since we have been made holy, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. What's the difference? Sin is sin. There are things that are clearly sin. But let us do more than just not sin. Let us do more than just not do the things that Jesus told us not to do specifically. Our holiness must exceed the holiness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So let's not just not sin, but let us lay aside every weight and sin. Susanna Wesley said, anything that slows you down, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You know what that feels like. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us throw off things that weigh us down, and let us run hard towards God, because I know you're sick of living powerless Christian lives. And you want to know the enjoyment of God. Lastly, why is it so hard? Um, why is it so hard for us to do? You know, I could kind of imagine myself having a conversation with God when I go to heaven, saying, Lord, you know, you wanted us to grow, right? And you wanted us to be holy. I even preached a sermon about this, I remember. <laughs> and I told my church, you know, you wanted us to enjoy you. And, but the thing is, Lord, like you made it so hard. Why, why couldn't holiness be quicker and easier? Because I would have shot and sprinted towards holiness, and then I would have just enjoyed you for the rest of my life. Why'd you make it so hard? And I can imagine that conversation. I thought about it this week. Why is it so hard? And I think one of the things that John Piper said in one of his sermons really kind of clicked in me. And he was saying that, you know, God might say, I could have made it really easy, but I made it so that you could not do it apart from me. I designed in the enjoyment of God so that it would have to be done with God. If I could shoot you to sanctification without me, you would have left me. But it would have ruined the whole point of it. I made sanctification so that you would know that it can't be done without me. Because I think he would say, Dave, what was it for? to enjoy you, that's what I told my church, it was made to enjoy you. I think he would say, you got it. And that's why I made it so you can't do it without me. And maybe I would say, wow, you know, you really love us, huh? You really, really love us. No, I think he would say, yeah, because I wanted to enjoy you, and I wanted you to enjoy me. Let's pray. I just want to ask you, um, Mosaic, just to take time to examine your heart um, and recognize and see just how much God wants for you to enjoy him and how much he wants to love you. You know, without that, we lose the whole point of holiness but he set us apart to be holy and said, you shall be holy so that we would know, love, and enjoy him. Can you take some time to think about your life and to come to God with it? Your holiness has to exceed the Pharisees. It has to. Or else you're going to be so miserable. It has to. You have to know What God is calling you to do, to live in the power of the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's go before Him and to hear Him about how we can enjoy Him more and more. Let's pray. I know it's not enough time, but I encourage you to take time this week and to go before God and to work this out with him. As he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. So I want to encourage you to take time this week. And I just want to ask you all, let's rise before we pray. Let's stand to our feet and pray together. Father, we come before you, uh, people who are tired of living powerless Christian lives, people who are tired of feeling the anxiety of being saved and then feeling no change. We don't want to live like that anymore. We want to be saved by grace and then increase in holiness and to pursue the things that are above and to feel the fruit of the Spirit like all the things that we see in the New Testament. Father, I pray Help us to pursue holiness and to keep growing in our ability to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I pray for our church. We pray for growth together, that we would build our life upon this love. We would build our life upon holiness so that we could see how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we give our offerings to the Lord, let's respond to him. In faith.